We are kicking off in a series on evangelism, and evangelism means sharing about good news. It means talking about good news with people. And so today we're going to be talking about evangelism as an identity, and I'm glad Corinne talked about that. We're going to talk about, uh, we're also going to talk about alternate realities as well. Um, so we're going to kind of mix in all these different themes that Corinne was talking about. Um, this week, this today is evangelism as an identity. Next week is about listening. The week after is about speaking. And then the last week is going to be about transitions, what it means to make transitions. And all, as you can tell, a lot of this evangelism series is about dialogue because Quicksilver Church is about making a safe place to ask hard questions about God. That's what we're about. So dialogue is one of our distinctives, and we want to be able to do that well. In fact, I would say dialogue is a supernatural power um, because we are arguably living in um, a more polarized world than ever before where um, there is political division, there's divisions over race, over uh, um, sexuality, there's a division over gender, there's division ethnically. So there's all kinds of uh, division um, in our culture. And it is a supernatural power to be able to listen to someone and disagree and still come away as friends and still love someone else. And so that's, that's our goal in the series is to equip you to be able to talk about your faith in a way that is not divisive and yet also recognize that even in the midst of being a safe place, when you ask hard questions about God, there will be a certain divisiveness. There will be a rejection. Um, and that's part, that's integral um, to being an evangelist. So with that, um, I wanted to talk about some of the attitudes that people have normally have towards evangelism. And Barna Report came out with a recent study that 47%, 47%, almost half of millennial Christians think that it is wrong to share one's faith. It is wrong to do evangelism. It's wrong to talk about it. And I think there's, there's some complexity to this because it's not only do millennials think that it's wrong, it's also, on, one, on the other hand, that millennials also see Christianity, the Christian faith, as extremely important, and that number two, 94%, also believe that knowing Jesus is one of the best things that can happen to a person. So how do we hold those two things in tension? On one hand, millennials believe, half of, almost half of them believe evangelism is wrong, and then, and then, but most, uh, most of these millennials who identify as Christians at the same time believe uh, Christianity is one of the best things that can happen to you. Having a Christian faith is one of the best things that can happen. So how do we meld those two together? Well, I think a lot of times the impression of what evangelism is is extremely negative. So I want you to imagine a scenario you're sitting at home, you happen to be at home during the weekday, which is, I guess, is everyone now, but this is, imagine this in a, in a pre-COVID environment, in a pre-pandemic environment, and you hear a knock on your door, and you open the door, and there's two well-dressed people, um, and one of them says, have you heard about, would you like a, a copy of the Watchtower? Would you like a copy of this magazine? And would you like to know the way to have eternal life? How many of you have experienced this? Raise your hand if you have experienced this before. You've encountered either Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your door or uh, Mormons or uh, members of the Church of Latter-day Saints. So if you, have ex if you haven't experienced this, I highly recommend it to you because you have experienced being um, evangelized. Someone has tried to share good news with you. And the problem with that, uh, the, often the problem with that experience is those who are identified as evangelists are pushy, are inauthentic, are manipulative. In fact, it also conjures up the term televangelist, right, who appears on TV to, to manipulate, to use people for their selfish gain. Um, those are all stereotypes of evangelism. And oftentimes we see evangelist as an identity that we don't want. We do not want that identity. 
And yet what I would argue today is that being an evangelist, if you're a Christian, you are an evangelist. It is your identity. It is who you are. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn in the text to Luke, the book, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And I'm going to ask uh, Michelle to put it up on the screen as I read this. We're going to read, we're going to be reading most of the chapter, but I'm only going to read the first nine verses for now. Okay. The first nine verses. Okay. This is Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses one through nine. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Because we're going to take a step back, and I'm going to outline what we're going to do today. You notice we have this whiteboard behind us. I'm going to try to write some things on here. This is our homeschool whiteboard. So first off, my first point is about being innocent. Okay? They're sent out as innocent, and then rejected. There's also going to be rejection. And then we have the supernatural. Hopefully you can see that okay. If you can't, um, we'll get it better next week. All right, innocent, supernatural, innocent, rejected, and supernatural. So those are where we're going. And so the first thing you're going to notice is that they're, well, actually, the first thing you want to notice is that Jesus sends them out. They are sent, okay? So every Christian is sent. And originally, before the pandemic, the vision of, Gar- of Quicksilver Church was Garden City, our, our mother church, was going to send us out to southeast San Jose. And now geography is less important. But just recognize, hey, we are, you are being sent out today to the people that you are around, okay? The, the coworkers, um, the neighbors, the people that you interact with in your everyday life, okay? Those are, those are the people you are being sent to, okay? And so what, we're, what we see here is uh, Jesus sends out these 72 people and they're on mission. And so this is kind of a, a precursor to the Great Commission, which Jesus gives in the Gospel of Matthew to make disciples of all nations. And Jesus is sending out these disciples to go town by town. And he go, they go ahead of him. They go to the same towns Jesus went, Jesus was about to go to. So I want you to notice first a couple different things. Number one, they are sent together. They go together. Just as Jehovah's Witnesses, and you'll see Mormons, they're those well-dressed young gentlemen. They are sent out in pairs. They are sent together. You are not a lone wolf Christian. You, no one goes by themselves. In fact, one thing I want to say, you know, in line with this, this innocent theme is that when you're innocent, it's kind of like being a kid, okay? And when you, go on a, when you go on a field trip as a kid, you take a buddy with you, okay? And so the idea here is Jesus is sending out 
these kids and they each have a buddy. You bring a buddy with you. Um, they're also sent out in prayer. Children pray. And it is natural for them to be able to pray. Um, and I'll talk more about this, but there's something kind of interesting here. There's a harvest and we're and these children, these innocent people are being sent out um, to pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up more workers for the harvest. So it's actually not about the harvest itself. It's actually about raising up workers for the harvest. And then here's kind of the main idea in this point about innocent. They are being sent out. This is in the in verse, what, four or so. Um, verse three, behold, so he wants to get, Jesus wants to get our attention. He says, behold, I am sending you as lambs among wolves, as lambs among wolves. So what the idea here is Jesus is sending out innocent people. He's sending out kids, and it's almost like they're going to get slaughtered, right? There's a sense they're going to get slaughtered. And he actually goes, I'm, I'm going to put that aside for a second to, to understand what lambs among wolves mean, and let's keep going. What, is it, what does it continue to say here? Well, in the passage, it continues to say, verse 4, carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, carry no sandals, greet no one on the road, so you don't take anything with you. So part of this idea of being innocent is you don't have anything, you don't have much equipment. You don't, you don't really don't, you don't carry any gear. Okay? And people love to have gear in everything they do, especially guys. But what Jesus is saying is you do not need any gear. You need to get rid of all your gear. And it goes with the whole idea of being a lamb. Because an evangelist, the, the kind of evangelist that Jesus sends out doesn't take advantage of other people. He is taken advantage of. Okay, that's the idea of being an innocent, is you don't exploit people, you let people exploit you. Okay, and yet um, it, it continues and it says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And that's another thing that children bring, they bring peace. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And shalom means much more than the absence of conflict. It also, it means harmony. It means to have right relationship with other people. Um, and so when, when Jesus is sending them out and saying, you know, peace you give on this house, he's saying harmony. Would you bring harmony to that? Okay. Would you help people to be able to, would you, would you, would you, that's what you bring. And that peace, that this abstract term of harmony will rest on the other person. Okay. Will rest on the person you stay with. And then it continues and it's very simple. It just says heal the sick. Okay. Heal the sick. There are, which implies there are sick people who need healing. And in the ancient Near East, there was tremendous physical suffering and disease. And so one of the, these disciples being sent out, one of their missions was to address the felt needs of the people, to address their physical needs. And so when Jesus says, when Jesus says this, there's, there's going to be power to be able to heal. And in line with what our church represents with Quicksilver Church, the ability to listen well and have dialogue is a felt need in our generation, in our culture. Okay, and we, sickness is actually a real need as well. Sickness is a real thing. And we are praying, we have power to be able to heal sickness. There is physical sickness, but there's also a spiritual and emotional sickness that has afflicted our country, and you could argue the world, um, that needs to be addressed through the act of listening well to people. Um, and that is a way to, um, admin, to, to minister to others, okay? <clears throat> the other aspect um, is they're sent to proclaim the kingdom, okay? Proclaiming the kingdom. And again, it's a simple, concise message. It is that the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near. I'm going to adjust the, the background a little bit so it's not so super white, okay? 
I hope this is better. There we go. Now you can have some of our kitchen. We can adjust on the fly. All right. So pr- proclamation of the kingdom. And so the, other, the last thing I want to say is um, every child, every child is an evangelist. Okay. Every child is an evangelist. How do I know that? Um, one of the qualities of my youngest son, Elliot, he's 11. <clears throat> if he sits down for dinner, um, and this is true pretty much every time, um, he will tell a story about the thing that he loves most. And he will tell us about his accomplishments in Minecraft, okay? Because he loves Minecraft. In fact, he cannot stop talking about Minecraft. And whatever the conversation topic goes, it always comes back to what he accomplished in Minecraft. Um, and we always tell him, this is not the theme, this is not the conversation topic, but somehow it always goes, goes back to Minecraft. Because if you talk to a kid, he cannot help but talk about what he loves. So every person, especially children, are evangelists because they can't help but talk about who or what they love. And that's, what it, and that's why new Christians are often the best evangelists, because there's a purity and an innocence to how they approach their faith. And they haven't been a Christian long enough to be jaded or suspicious or to begin to manipulate others, where there's a purity and, a, and an innocence to how they approach the kingdom of God in their faith. And this is a quality that those who are evangelists have. There's an innocence to it. Okay, so that's the first aspect, this innocence, okay? Second, rejection. And this is where the child thing seems to fall apart, right? I'm going to read, I'm gonna, we're going to get the uh, verses back on the screen. I'm going to read from Luke 10, verses 11 to 16. Okay, as, uh, as, that, as that gets there, let me read from Luke 10, verse 11 to 16. <clears throat> but whenever you enter a town, and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to, your, that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for you, on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then Luke ten thirteen, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So we're going to stop here and we'll take back up in a minute. Um, But I want you to notice that there will be people in a town that do not receive these disciples, that do not receive these sent ones. And that even the dust of their feet, that the dust that clings to their feet, they're supposed to wipe off. They're supposed to have nothing to do with these towns. And I want you to notice that um, the Bible is very interesting. And that oftentimes we think of, uh, when we think of faith, we think of faith as being an individual. And the Bible certainly talks about this aspect of individual faith. But one, one thing I would notice to you, that the Bible actually talks more about corporate faith than it does about individual. And what that means is what it means to know uh, God as a group of people, as a family, as a nation, and even here as a city. Okay, so what you notice here is he's, these names, Chorazin and Bethsaida, these are names of cities in Israel. These are names of Jewish cities because uh, it doesn't say this in this gospel account, but these disciples were being sent to Israel. They're being sent to their own. These are, these are Jewish people being sent to their own people. 
And one of Luke's goals in this gospel is to demonstrate that Israel would reject the Messiah. And then the book that comes after this is the book of Acts. And that's demonstrating how the gospel then proceeds to the non-Jews, which are called Gentiles. Okay. And so there's this whole aspect here that rejection is actually part of God's plan. And also the is going to happen. That rejection is going to happen. And it's not individual. It's not just individual rejection. It's not just individual people rejecting the news of the kingdom. It is people corporately. It is an entire town. And um, the way, what he's doing is he's comparing towns from that, that the Jews would have been aware of throughout history that were judged very harshly in the Hebrew scriptures, Tyre and Sidon, um, and also Sodom. These were all cities guilty of violence and sexual immorality and, and idolatry. And what God is saying is you see those towns of, as being judged harshly for the consequences of not believing and trusting in the kingdom, in, in trusting the God of this kingdom, the God of Israel. There will also be far worse consequences for cities that, for the current cities in that time that do not believe in God, that are not repenting. And that's a key word in one of the verses here is that these verses need to repent, okay? Uh, these, these cities need to repent. That's in verse 13. And the idea of repentance is, what, what that means is to change one's mind, is to not harden your heart, is not to, to, to be able to turn towards, is to turn away from sin, from evil behavior, and to turn towards God. And one of the essences of this evil behavior was pride, was this arrogance and this independence. And that's something I talked about last week. The nature of a city is often pride in itself because the city, uh, in a city you make your name, but the name of a city also makes you. And so Jesus is making this association that, hey, you know what? They're actually, you're, you can actually expect rejection and rejection at a city level. And so as part of making a safe place, you know, that's one of our goals. We also have to recognize there are hard questions about God. And the reason there are hard questions about God is because there's hard aspects about God. God does indeed judge, and there are consequences for evil behavior. And so one of the identities that an evangelist has is to be rejected. That is one of the identities that you take on as an evangelist. Um, and that's, that, that's, and, and we, no one wants to reject children, and yet that is the aspect of, that's the other aspect of innocence, is that you will face rejection. Um, and it's not meant to harden you. In fact, this is, and we're going to go on. Let's see what happens as these 72 return from their mission. And we're going to talk about the last point of supernatural. Okay, Luke 10. This is uh, 17. I'm going to read verse 17 to 22. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, so you'll notice 
the 72, they celebrate, they have joy. And they say, God, they say, Lord, to Jesus, Lord, Master, even the demons are subject to us in your name, which is peculiar because no one's mentioned demons up to this point. Okay, at, at least in this account, they, there has been no mention of demons. And yet that's the first thing the 72 notice is they, number one, they have some kind of spiritual awareness and, and there's, there are demons and that these demons are subject to, uh, to the name of Jesus, to the character, works, and reputation of Jesus. That's what a name means. Okay, it's not just the just not the sound of Jesus, the sound of his name, but the character and works and reputation that accompany him. Okay, and so the first thing I want to make you aware of is there is a supernatural reality that is often unseen. And so when Corinne earlier was talking about science fiction and alternate realities, there is a reality, a supernatural reality that is invisible to us most of the time. And yet to these disciples, to these ones that were sent out, there was an awareness of it. And this is an area I'm not, uh, I did not really grow up. You know, I became a Christian when I was 13. And in most of my church life, I have not received a lot of teaching around the supernatural and spiritual warfare. And yet it is explicitly part of the biblical text. And I'm learning about this area. I'm learning about um, these dimensions that are explicitly made known throughout the scriptures. There is, a there is another reality that is unseen to us. And Jesus says, exactly. He sees Satan, the prince of demons, fall like lightning from heaven. And so there's a, there's a sense that there is victory happening as the disciples are going forward. And they have been given authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the thing these things that will harm them, and they will not be harmed. And yet at the same time, they are told that not to rejoice in that. Okay, but before we get there, let me say a couple things. Because this whole idea of supernatural warfare and that they're, they're going to have this authority, Jesus didn't mention it in the beginning. He didn't tell them starting out that they would have this kind of authority. They only found out afterwards. They only saw that they would have this kind of supernatural authority over demons, over the supernatural, after they went out. And so there's an important principle that God's power is activated when one moves forward in faith, okay? That God's power is activated once you move forward in faith. We don't get to see the supernatural power we have until we move forward in initiative and in faith in him. Because oftentimes when we, you start out doing something, you won't, because you, you won't understand it until you actually do it. And the idea here is Jesus is saying, you, don't, you won't understand the power you have until you start to step out in faith to do it, to actually proclaim the kingdom. The only way that power is activated is if the children of God move forward in faith. And so if you're afraid today, if you don't understand that power, could I ask you to recognize that that power is activated once you move forward? Okay? It doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means you begin to see it as you take steps of faith, as you take initiative to obey Jesus and to be able to proclaim the news of the kingdom, that the kingdom is near. And yet again, this is not what the disciples are supposed to rejoice in. They're not rejoicing that they have this supernatural power. They are rejoicing that their names are written in heaven. And again, speaking about the supernatural identity, these disciples have a supernatural identity. They have a citizenship that is not of this world, but belongs to heaven. 
And out of that, that's where everything starts. That's the essence of what Jesus is saying, is that their greatest joy is to be a citizen of heaven. Their greatest joy is to be a child of the Most High King. And it is a joy that one can experience on this earth. Because people talk about this pie-in-the-sky theology as if the greatest thing that you're going to experience is, uh, is heaven, is when you get to heaven. And yet what Jesus says here is that their greatest joy is that they can experience heaven now, that they are citizens of heaven today, and they can rejoice in that fact. So there is a reality of the supernatural that occurs while we are on earth. Okay? There is an aspect of heaven coming down through these children to evidence supernatural power in what they do. The supernatural power of God is being unveiled for these child evangelists. And, and again, how do, I see, uh, how do I see this child identity? Um, in verse 21, it says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So he's talking about the 72 that has been sent out. These are the little children. They have been sent as innocents. They have been sent out to be rejected. And yet they have supernatural power because they have a supernatural identity. They are children of the Most High King. And that is who you are as a follower of Jesus. So in closing, you, we are going to, the goal of the series is to equip you to have conversations about the faith, to have conversations about Jesus. And in doing so, you know, you, you may view those things as a kind of money sack or, or money bag or a knapsack or sandals. And I just want you to know, you don't actually need to be equipped. Like God intentionally sent out his children uh, barefoot and without any money because they had, they had supernatural resources at their disposal because they had a supernatural identity and they rejoiced in that identity. And so as you step forward in faith, the goal of the series is to help you realize who you are, that you have supernatural resources at your disposal. And the image that comes to mind, um, how many of you have seen uh, this TV series, Stranger Things? How many of you watch Stranger Things? You can raise your hand. Let me know. I see some of you. Um, Hoffeckers didn't raise their hand. You guys need to watch Stranger Things. I don't want to spoil, I don't want to spoil this movie but, uh, or this, this TV series. There's been a number of... Um, superhero TV series where it's about superhero children. And in this, in this TV series, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to spoil too much, but it's going to be a little bit of a spoiler. Um, there's a character named Eleven, and she has supernatural powers. And she doesn't realize the full extent of them. But as, as, she, um, as her friends are placed in jeopardy, she's kind of given a mission to help them. And sh those powers are then activated. Okay. Um, and again, you know, she, she isn't actually a supernatural being. Um, there are others, like Superman, for instance, that were actually supernatural beings. They had a supernatural identity. Um, and yet the whole process, their journey as children was coming to terms with that power, okay, was discovering the nature of who they are. And so the purpose of this series is for you to discover the nature of who you are and the supernatural resources that are at your disposal because of who you are, because you are a citizen of heaven. And so today, um, if you don't identify as a Christian, I know a number of you may not identify as a Christian. Could I ask you, could you be open? Could you have some openness that there is an alternate reality that you may not see? That there are, there are, force, there are supernatural forces that are opposing each other. And you are involved. You are, you are affected 
by how these forces interact? And could I also have you wonder that amidst these supernatural forces, there is a king. There is a king of heaven who equips people, who, who sent his son to come to this earth to bring this, the heavenly kingdom near to us. And he has, he has commissioned children to do his work and to have, supernatural for, to have supernatural power, to heal and proclaim the kingdom. And if today you do identify as a Christian, and yet you are afraid of rejection, and you fear being seen as judgmental, could you, number one, recognize that rejection, that to be rejected is a way to get to know your heavenly Father? Because rejection is what the Son experienced when he came to earth, to the point that he was crucified, died and was buried, and then rose again. Rejection is a way that we get to know our Heavenly Father, a way that you understand your heavenly upbringing better. And also, if you're afraid of being seen as judgmental, would you recognize that loving people and sharing the gospel of the kingdom, those are the same thing. As we are teaching you how to have dialogue about the faith, we are teaching you, it hopefully will look a lot like loving people because that's what it is. And yet there will be people who do not want that, who are not interested in that, and that's perfectly fine. That is okay. And then lastly, if you identify as a Christian and yet you find you are jaded and suspicious and you have a difficult time talking about the faith, could I ask you to come back and to find out from God how good it is to have your name written in heaven, to have a supernatural identity, to be a child of the Most High King, to be the beloved, and to see and to experience the breathless wonder of having your sins forgiven. Church, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your love for us as revealed by your Son. Would you open our eyes to the spiritual reality, the spiritual re revelation you've given us through your Son and the power of the Spirit, the spiritual reality of oppo opposing forces of darkness, and our supernatural power to be able to heal disease and also be able to proclaim the news of the kingdom. But most of all, would you open our eyes to our supernatural identity, that we are children of the Most High King, and we are the beloved, and we are secure in the Father's embrace. Lord, would we be sent out as innocents to be rejected, recognizing and celebrating that our identity is in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.